Support for WABE comes from Ameris Bank. No matter where you are on your financial journey, Ameris Bank is by your side and committed to financial peace of mind. Whether you need help with business, personal, or mortgage banking, we're with you. Ameris Bank, equal housing lender, member FDIC. In Atlanta, we take pride in the number of gay bars around the city. More than 300 LGBTQ plus bars have played a memorable role in Atlanta's gay community, past and present. During the pandemic, Art Smith, who describes himself as, quote, a longtime card-holding member of the Atlanta gay community, decided to create an archive of all the gay bars throughout the U.S. and the world. The site is called Gay Barchives. Art Smith joins me now via Zoom to talk about this monumental project. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. It's an honor to be here. Now, you have lived in Atlanta since the 1980s. Please tell us your thoughts about how the LGBTQ plus scene grew and evolved over the last 40 years. Well, I first moved to Atlanta in 1983, and I lived there for about 20 years. I moved away for a while, came back and then moved away again in 2015. So I do not currently live in Atlanta, but I still have many longtime friends and contacts there. And I was actually just there for Atlanta Pride. It was a grand event. It was, it certainly was. And I met and connected with a lot of people in Atlanta who are big, big fans of the gay bars from the past in Atlanta. I spoke with people with the Atlanta History Project and a number of other organizations that are trying to preserve uh, Atlanta's gay history. And from my own personal perspective, I was living in in Nashville, Tennessee in uh, 1982. And I made a trip to Atlanta for New Year's Eve, 82, 83, because Atlanta had an image at that time of being the San Francisco or New York City of the South. It was a gay Mecca at that time, and everybody in the South knew it. So I went there for New Year's Eve with my boyfriend. We had a fabulous time. And before we left Atlanta, we were so excited about the vibrancy of Atlanta's gay community at that time that we made the decision to move there. In one day, we found an apartment turned on our utilities. I accepted a job offer. And the following weekend, we moved to Atlanta because of its gay scene. Oh, wow. Now, this is such an enormous project. How did you compile the list of gay bars throughout the world onto this website? It is a very arduous task. You know, as you are well aware, 40 years ago, there was no such thing as the Internet. So the records of those bars that existed prior to, say, 2000 exist primarily in either other databases that academic institutions have assembled or in 
any copies of gay magazines that may have been preserved over the decades. So it takes a lot of sleuthing, a lot of research, a lot of talking to people who have been around for quite a while and gathering those stories and kind of collecting the information piece by piece. Did you have any help? I did. Most of the research and the the driving force behind the Gay Archives Project is my own. And most of the money that's been spent on any kind of research or equipment or anything I've needed to do has come out of my pocket. But I do have people who have supported me in the project, both financially and by being kind of my feet on the ground in different places. One example in Atlanta is a gentleman by the name of Floyd Taylor, who has been very supportive and then reached out and connected me with a lot of people he knows in the uh, Atlanta gay history scene and in the bar scene there. Art, in what ways has the bar scene been a cornerstone for the LGBTQ plus community? Well, my first experience in the gay bar scene was in the late 70s. By the time I moved to Atlanta in 1983, AIDS had already hit the scene. But it wasn't as big of an impact in cities like Atlanta, where we were kind of removed from the New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles impact of AIDS. But one thing that it did do is the local bar community was essential in allowing a community to form. Many of the organizations that you now know as advocates of gay rights or supporters of gay services and causes, most of those were formed as a result of interactions with the gay bars. The gay bars were the places where the meetings were held, where people met each other to join hands in a common cause, where drag queens and local performers did fundraisers to raise money for organizations. One interview that I did last year was with the executive director of Florida Equality. And she told me that there would not have been an Equality Florida had there not been a supportive bar community. So that, to me, was the first you know, big impact that was recognized by the world from the gay community. Yeah, it was a safe space. It absolutely was. And at that time, it was very important. Prior to that, you know, people like to go back and talk about, you know, 1969 and the Stonewall Inn uprising in New York. But there were actually several uprisings around the country that preceded and predated the Stonewall uprising. There was one at the Black Knight in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was one at the Black Cat in San Francisco. There was one at the Black Cat in um, Los Angeles and numerous other ones around the country that kind of started to set the tone. But Stonewall is the one that really got the focus and started to really uh, get the message out nationally that we needed to fight for our rights. And again, all of those places that I mentioned were gay safe havens, gay bars or gay cafes that allowed us to meet and to discuss topics and to plan protests or marches or whatever we were going to do. Mm. What are some of your favorite stories sent to these archives, local or 
otherwise? Well, one of my favorite stories does come from Atlanta, a woman who is very well known in the gay community there. Her name is Dina Collins, and she was a bar owner in Atlanta for many years. I believe her first bar that she owned was in the Cheshire Bridge, uh, La Vista area, and it was called The Rose. It was primarily a women's bar, and it was very well known. And to this day, I still have people from some of the Atlanta gay bar affinity groups on Facebook or other social media accounts that still talk fondly about that bar. But she went on to expand and to build numerous other bars. She had one called Dina's One Mo Time, which was a more mixed bar, men and women, kind of country Western theme. And then later evolved into Hoedowns and Three-Legged Cowboy. So over a period of 30 or 40 years, she was known by a lot of people in the gay community. But what a lot of people don't know about Nina is that she was a very, very big supporter of taking care of people with HIV and AIDS. And when she had her bar on Cheshire Bridge Road, Dina's One more Time, you know, in the bar business, you close the bar at 3 a.m., you clean up, straighten up, it's 4 a.m. before you're leaving the bar to go home. Many nights, she would spend the night in the bar. She would sleep there for a few hours so that she could be there at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning when people came by that were affected by HIV, maybe thrown out by their family or disowned or lost their jobs or unable to work. And she would provide meals for them. She would provide a safe space for them to hang out. She would provide you know, a shower and beverages or whatever to support that community. And her slogan for that bar was a bar with a sense of community. That is the way the bar scene was in the 1980s in Atlanta. How inspiring. From compiling gay bars into this enormous database, can you estimate how many have closed their doors compared to those still open? Well, that's a little bit of an impossible question to answer because so many of them have changed names over the years. And of course, you're going back in Atlanta history, the first what I would call gay safe space that I was able to identify so far was in the like 1949, 1950. So you're going back, you know, 70 years. And in that time, there are many bars that have opened and closed. So far in gay bar archives, I have documented over 3,000 bars around the country in the U.S. that have existed over time. But there are many, many more than that. A friend of mine, two friends of mine actually, just published a book about Chicago's gay bar scene. It's called Last Call Chicago, and it was written by Rick Carlin and St. Suki Delacroix. And together, they spent a couple of years diligently researching Chicago's bar scene. And in this book that they've just published, they have identified 1,001 LGBT spaces. So they could be cafes or restaurants that were popular with the gay community or bars, but a thousand and one in the city of Chicago alone. My goodness. Art, when did you decide to grow the site from Atlanta gay bars to the entire U.S. and then beyond? <laughs> it was kind of an organic growth. 
the very first conversations I had that inspired me to look into memories of Atlanta's gay bar scene was with uh, one of the former owners of Backstreet in Atlanta. Her name is Vicki Vera, and she also is very well known in the Atlanta gay community. She and her family owned Backstreet, Weekends, Weekends Warehouse, Lipsticks, Levitas, and a number of other bars in Atlanta that were very well attended by the gay community and very supportive of, of the gay community. She wanted to do something to commemorate the 45th anniversary of the day they opened in 1975. So I started talking to people about Backstreet specifically. And in the course of that conversation, people started to reminisce about other bars. So they would be telling me about their memories of Backstreet. And then they would say, but do you remember before we went to Backstreet, earlier in the evening, we would go to the Far Library or the Armory or Bulldogs or the Cove or wherever. So it kind of mushroomed through Atlanta. And then it went beyond that because people would say, well, there was also a Backstreet in Fort Lauderdale. And there was also you know, a bar called Bulldog in Chicago or wherever. And it started expanding and expanding. And I just ran with it. I just said, okay, once you know a name or have an idea, you can start to dig the, this information up. The website not only points people to the history about gay bars and nightlife, but also to various articles and websites on LGBTQ plus history listed by state and country. Why did you want to include links to the overall history as well? Well, the, the, that part of the project, that's the archives page on my website. And that started as a hidden page on the website. So nobody else could see it except me. But I put it there because in the course of my research, when I found these resources, I was at a notebook full of random notes everywhere. And I said, this every time I go to research a new bar, I have to pull out that notebook and flip through all these pages. Why don't I just put that file on my computer? And so I put it on my website. And after speaking to a number of people and finding out that some of the people I was speaking with who may have been historians or may have been authors or may have been bar owners, they would ask about that information too and say, well, where did you find out about this? And so I just decided to make it a public page I feel like history in general, and our gay history in particular, is something that should be easily accessible to anyone. And Gay Archives is not about making Art Smith the guru of gay bar information. It's about having the information out there and having people be able to share their stories of these different places that they used to frequent. Art Smith, this has been fascinating. Congratulations on your work. It is a public service. And thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, you're quite welcome, Lois. I really appreciate it.